0: Well, I'm honored to be here and to share with you for today. I'd like to, to begin by drawing our attention back to the second reading. I'll be referring a lot to the bulletin. Since we don't have pew Bibles, we'll refer back to the bulletin. Reading and meditating on these verses, I found pretty disturbing. And pretty challenging. Because Paul, especially in his letter to the Colossians, uses some pretty strong language. And when you put all the readings together, you don't necessarily walk away with a warm, fuzzy feeling. What you walk away with is the feeling of ouch. That that's a zinger that gets you. And I have to tell you that when I looked at these readings and when I studied them, I felt convicted. Which is what should happen. Paul tells us to mortify. Literally in the Greek, to put to death. Those sins that belong to our earthly nature. And he lists them sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, our culture does not recognize that word, idolatry. It is a term that over the years has become passe. It's a word that, except for church, we probably never hear it. Because it doesn't play well in a world where we are told, if it feels good, do it. Or do it just because we deserve it. That's the media message. That's what we are bombarded every single time we tell, you know, we turn on a television set. So we are daily bombarded with these media messages that proclaim that our wants are the only things that matter. In fact, these terms are the slogans of advertisers. Just do it. Whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. In reality, whatever happens in Vegas, God already knows. You're not hiding anything. Even in the church, we sometimes act and believe that the word idolatry only refers to worshiping false gods. So that if we're not worshiping at an altar of a false God, God, well, then we are golden. You know? We're doing a lot of things, but you know what? We're not worshiping at the altar of a false god, so you know it doesn't refer to us. but that's not the New Testament understanding of the word idolatry. Paul tells us that idolatry is anything that stands in the way of our relationship with God. Anything we put... In a way that makes God and our relationship with God second best. Anything that has a higher position in our life than God. And this includes ourselves. Ourselves. Yes, we can put ourselves in that position. And we fall into what I like to call the if-I's. If I had, if I did, if I was. We see in the first reading, we see in the gospel reading, if I had, if I had a bigger house, if I had more money, uh, if I had a beautiful church building, if I had fill in the blank. If I had. And then if I did, which is the concept of sort of self-action, We pull ourselves up from our bootstrap. And if I did this, if I got more education, if I worked a little harder, if I prayed a little harder, if I, if I, if I, again, that's more focused on us. And then, the last if I, if I was just dot, 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 fill in the blank. If I was a better husband, better father more intelligent, better looking, had more hair, less weight. All of these things, if I had, if I did, if I was, all of these. And as Christians, we're not immune to this influence of these persuasive messages. We usually tack on to the end of the if I's, the tagline, then God would really use me. If I had this, if I had a wonderful singing voice, then God could use me to lead people in worship. If I did just got that M div, then God could use me. If I just was more humble or prayed more, then God would use me. And that's a deception. God does not need perfection to use us. We're not perfect. If we're waiting around for us to be perfect so that God can use us, we're going to be waiting a long time. And when we think we've arrived, it's somewhat of a letdown. I have to be honest with you. I know that when I finished my education, when I finished defending my dissertation, and you work so hard, you sacrifice sleep, you work so hard, you have to go into this panel, and they get to ask you anything they want for as long as they want. So you start off with a 20-minute presentation, and then it's... What, you have no idea what's coming, so the fear itself is scary. And then when you finish, when they're done with you, they say thank you very much. You are excused. You go outside, and you have no idea how long you're going to be out there. And then they come call you back in, and if it's successful, your advisor calls you, doctor. When it was over, it was sort of anticlimactic. As I got in the car, I didn't hear angels singing. I received no special things. Coffee at Starbucks still cost me $2. When I walked in, they didn't go, oh, there he is. There was none of that. Put some letters after my name that indicated, as colleagues said, piled higher and deeper. We don't have to be perfect. We do not. So why does Paul tell the Colossians to put to death these types of self-centered sins? I think we can look back to our responsive reading from the 49th Psalm. For that answer. We can never ransom ourselves or deliver to God the price of our life. For the ransom of our life is so great that we should never have enough to pay for it. Matthew sixteen twenty-six says, What For a man to gain the whole world, and in the process lose their soul. For what can a man give in exchange for their soul? Christ paid the ransom on the cross. We were bought with a price that we could never pay. In Mark it says, For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. To give his life for a ransom for many first john this is how we know what love is jesus christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for others and titus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good Because we were bought with a price, we were ransomed by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We're not our old lives. We are not our old nature, our old habits. We belong than our old selves. Chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We, and I know. When you say that to people, especially in our culture, they look at that word duty and they don't know what to do with it. Unless you're in the military, it's usually a bad word. Okay. Duty. Duty means that I know I'll do it even if I don't feel like doing it even though I don't want to do it. I've talked to many soldiers in the last couple of years because I have more and more coming back to college, and I have an opportunity to talk to them, and I've asked them about this concept of duty. And I've asked them what they mean, and they say, what it means is the person next to me, whoever that is, even if I don't know them, I know they have my back. And because I know they have my back, I can do things I never thought I could do. And they know that I have their back. They don't have to think about it. They don't have to question. They don't have to turn around to wonder if I'm there. I'm there. And they're there. God is there. So because we have this duty to Christ, we should seek to be transformed into his likeness. To be mirrors of Christ to a darkened world. Now what does this transformation look like and how does it happen? The readings of this passage is that it's not a journey that we take by ourselves. It's a communal journey. It's a shared journey. I know the idea of sharing anything depending upon anyone but ourselves is difficult for some of us. It's difficult for me. I like to be pretty independent. And then I don't let people down, and the only one I let down is myself. Or at least that's what I tell myself. We may have been hurt by others in the church, so we become... Cautious or cynical. The thought of depending upon anyone because we've been burned or hurt in the past is foreign to us or scares us. Our society tells us, you know, the old saying, fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not going to fall for that a second time. This attitude combined with the American perception, we are this, according to surveys, we are the number one independently minded group in the world. I know you're shocked by that. Okay. We are. Number two, Australia. We share a common history. Okay. We are independently minded. Someone tells us we can't do things, the thing we'll tell them is, I have a right. And we'll list those rights. And if we don't have those rights, we'll make those rights up. But we'll say it with compassion, with passion and force. We sometimes think, you know, just us and God and we're good. We don't need anybody else. As long as I got the word of God and I can lock myself in a desert cave and I don't need anybody. Going away, Times in the desert are great. Jesus did it. But he always came back. He always came back to the people. He always came back to his disciples. Paul admonishes the Colossians, and by extension ourselves, that this transformation, the transformation into being Christ-like, is done in a personal and a communal fashion. Because in this way, we have accountability. We are accountable. This is church for the sake of others, not church just for our own individual sake. The Christian life does not revolve around ourselves, but around Christ. And it flies in the face of this perception that we have to be independent. Let's look at our reading. The church is told to rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another. Well, actually in the Greek, that's an imperative. And it means... Stop lying to one another. It's not saying just don't do it. The Colossians were doing it. And Paul is saying, stop it. Okay? Not lying to yourself, it's lying to others. Stop it. Now, is Paul saying this in the force that he's using just because you know he's concerned that if we are in rage or that if we have anger or slander, our blood pressure will increase? that, you know, we'll start taking those hypertension drugs because we won't be able to control. Paul realizes that communication is not reversible. You can apologize for saying something, but you can't take it back. You can't put, you know, you can't... You know, how many have seen the Twix commercial? you know the different Twix candies commercials and somebody asks them a question and like the w- wife comes in she's got a new pair of jeans on she looks at her husband and she says knees. and it pauses and the line goes, she goes oh thank you and she leaves It's the idea that communication is not reversible. You can't say, I didn't mean to say that. Let me erase it. No. What does James say about the tongue in the third chapter? It's a spark. It's a spark that can cause what? A roaring fire. Now we understand that here in Southern California. All we have to do is turn on the TV set. And we see, time of year, one spark can do, destroy hundreds of thousands of acres. So Paul is telling the Colossians, watch what you say. Watch your anger. It's not just about us. There's collateral damage. Words hurt. Words divide. Words cut. And they divide the body. And we are to be reflections of Christ. Why? Back to our verse. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of the Creator, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all and all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against another, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Beneficiaries of grace, Those who have received grace should show grace. And Paul is saying, we have received that grace. So beneficiaries of grace should become benefactors of it. And overall, these virtues put on love, which binds them to all together in perfect unity. So how do we begin? What do we need to do? Well, according to the New Testament, forgiveness begins through confession. Begins through confession. Richard Foster, in his classic work, Celebration of Discipline, labels confession a spiritual discipline. I have to admit that the first time I read that, I had doubts about that perspective. Until I began to study it. I realize that as Anglicans, we're used to this concept of confession. Because every time we come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we have a prayer of confession. We know that how important confession is in communal worship, we know it's a preparation for partaking. Of communion. We understand that. Foster says this about the discipline of confession. He said confession is so difficult to discipline us for us partly because we view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. We come to feel that everyone else has advanced so far into the holiness that we are isolated and alone in our own sin. We could not bear to reveal our failure and shortcomings to others. We imagine that we are the only ones who have not stepped into the high road of heaven. Therefore, we hide ourselves from one another and live in veiled lives and hypocrisy. But if we know that the people of God are just a fellowship of sinners, we are free to hear the unconditional call of God's love and to confess our needs openly before our brothers or sisters. We know that we are not alone in our own sin. The fear and pride, which cling to us like barnacles, cling to others also. We are sinners together. In acts of mutual confession, we release the power that heals. Confession leads us to asking forgiveness, both from God and from each other. And in asking forgiveness from God and each other, we become more genuine. We become more transparent. And we are better open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if we do, Paul tells us, that we are able over all these virtues to put on love that binds us together. Many of the list of sins that Paul talks about to the Colossians are sins of the There are sins where we put ourselves in a position, oftentimes before God, before our brothers and sisters. The Christian life isn't the life of an individual alone. We're not in this alone. We're not on this journey. We are on it communally. That if we fall, we have others to pick us up. To pray for us. To bear ye one another's burdens so that we what? Might fulfill the laws of God. We bear. We fall. We stumble. And then we confess to one another. So that we might experience that we may be transformed by the Holy Spirit. That we are reflections of God. We're not the light. We're not the source. We're the reflection. That takes that light source and beams it into the darkened areas. And Paul He's saying to the Colossians, as I believe that he is saying to us, that we need to get real. Real to ourselves, honest to ourselves. Not wait until we're some artificial production for God to use us. God can use us right now, and he will. And if you say, wait, I've got all this background, Lord. Look at all this and this and this and this and this and this. Your ransom was paid. It was paid on Calvary. Our ransom was paid. We don't have to do it alone. We can't do it alone. Because what can we pay? Nothing. Nothing. If we want, if we want, as members of God's body, to feel the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we need to cleanse, to be cleansed. To allow the Spirit to show us in our lives what need to be changed. To realize it's not just up to us. That we have brothers and sisters who will come alongside like our prayer ministry. They will come alongside and they will pray for us. Pray. And what do we get for this? We get a transformed life. A life and a church that is for others, not just ourselves. So, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Since as members of one body we were called to peace, and be thankful, let the message of Christ dwell among us richly as we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit, singing to God with our hearts, and whatever we do, whether in word or deed, let us do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God, the Father through Him. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Holy Trinity Church, please visit us online at www.myholytrinitychurch.com.